0: We're picking up the series that you've been looking at in Exodus, and uh, Chris Fry sent me the readings for today, and I thought it was a bit much to read a chapter and a half uh, this morning, so I encourage you to go and read uh, chapters 12 and half of 13, but we're just going to look today at Exodus 12, starting at verse 31, and then going on to um, verse 42, Exodus 31 to 42. And it says this. This is after the uh, the plagues have been, and I know you've been looking at that already, but it says this. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord your God as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loads of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they'd been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare the food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honour the Lord for generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for my Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. I've gone too far there. I only meant to go up to 42, but there we go. If you want to know the rest, go home and read it in your Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, buy one from the bookstore downstairs. Let's pray as we uh, reflect on that passage a bit more. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the journey that the people, your people have been on. We pray now that you will open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to share with you something that really annoys me, that really happens nearly every day and just, oh, makes my skin crawl. And it is this. It is my alarm clock. Like most of my generations, my alarm clock is on my phone. And every time the alarm clock goes off, I am not, ask my wife, I'm not a morning person. I hate mornings. And the alarm goes off and it's, oh, I've got to get up now. I'm quite happy to stay in my nice, comfy, warm bed and not have to worry about anything. Just lay here until I feel my body says it's time to get up. About 10 o'clock or something like that would be lovely. I remember as a child, as a teenager, I had an alarm clock. And now it's on my phone, but a separate alarm clock. And it used to make this really shrieking noise that just went straight through you. And even if I hear that noise on TV now, it absolutely sends shivers down my spine. I've been a parent of two children. I normally see daylight before the alarm clock comes on. Um, Daddy, Daddy, when are we getting up? Not yet, he says at five o'clock in the morning. They're better now. Not yet. Not now. There are times even when my body clock and I wake up before my alarm... And I know my alarm is going to go off in just a few minutes. And I sit there praying and willing with every strength that those minutes just turn into hours. Hasn't happened yet. But there's something about the alarm clock that when it goes up, it's that sense of get up, go. And it's like exactly uh, what happened in our reading today. You see, the Israelites had been in Egypt for many years, for 400 years. And 30 years. And it's almost at this point their alarm clock goes off. Wake up. Go. Wake up. Go. I imagine for many of the Israelites, this was bizarre. You know, they have been under uh, Egyptian rule for 430 years. There was probably uh, noise going around that Moses was speaking to Pharaoh. But probably many sat there not believing anything was going to change. It never has done. It never will do again. God's not going to do anything. We're going to be here for the rest of my life. We can sit in our nice, what we know, the comfortable nature of what we know, and nothing's going to change. But then God speaks to the Pharaoh and almost like an alarm clock says, get up, go. Go. Get up from what you know, get up from the things that you're used to, and go. Now is the time to go. Now, I imagine some of the um, Israelites are probably a little bit perturbed by this. Now, there's some real scholarly kind of working going on. Were were the were the, the Israelites really slaves, or were they forced labor, or were they just there? But whatever, whether it was any of those, they were comfortable. They knew what life was like. They knew what the processes was. I used to work in a prison many years ago, and you might think, well, people want to come out of prison. Yes, they do, but they struggle because they like the routine, the nature of what happens. It's comfortable. It's what they know. And when they have to go up and get out, they struggle. And I imagine the Israelites were the same. When they had to go, there was fear. What were we going to? What was going to happen? Fear of the unknown. Fear of the wondering. Fear of where are we going to? You know, and we know this because, not to preempt any preaching that happens in a few weeks' time, but after a while, they started moaning. We were much better back there. We knew what life was. We knew to expect what to expect. We knew how things worked. And this sense in which the Israelites are now facing a new journey, a new place. Because that call to get up and go was so fast and so quick. Now my in-laws at the moment are currently cruising around somewhere in the Mediterranean on a cruise. I'm not jealous at all. Um, they're on all-inclusive, not jealous in any way, shape or form. Um, but it's interesting, my mother-in-law packed about three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago for this holiday, and they only went a couple of days ago. She packed about two weeks before they even go on holiday. Uh, for us as a family, we're lucky if we pack the morning of the day that we go on holiday, we just chuck things in a bag and go, right, let's go. But for the uh, Israelites, it was a case of go we've got to go now pick up what you can get what you can we're going on a journey we don't know where we're going we don't know what it's going to be like but we're going and we have to trust god we have to trust god that he's going to lead us see the danger was that the israelites could be a little bit like me in bed Wanting to put the snooze button on the alarm. I don't want to get up now. I don't want to go now. I'm comfortable where I am. I know it's not where I'm meant to be. I'm meant to be doing different things, making breakfast. But I'm comfortable. And I know what I'm doing. You want it to go away. You want the alarm to go away. But God speaks clearly and powerfully in this passage. Get up. Go. What? In a couple of months, Lord? No. Go now. Go now. And they had to leave things behind. Comfortableness. We might say, well, they were slaves, Tim. You know, how can they be comfortable? But they knew what life was, there there was structure. They had to leave it behind. They had to leave what they knew behind and trust God for the future. Because it's all about God's timing. God's perfect timing. You can imagine waking one of the elders of the Israelite tribe up saying, We're going now. What now? But, but yeah, I've been hoping for this day for years, but, but really now we haven't prepared? No, we're going now. Because now is God's perfect timing. I've been very privileged in the two churches that I've ministered in to have the previous minister that I've succeeded actually a member of the congregation as I've been there. Now many would say that doesn't work, it can't work, there's no way of that working. Uh, but I've been blessed by them. When I was in Bristol, a a gentleman called Ken Stewart was a great guy, a great supporter of my ministry and kept his nose out of everything unless I asked him to. And for those who know, at task, Jeff Haldon was there for 22 years and everyone around was saying, Jeff, you can't stay, it's not going to work, you've got to go. And Jeff has stayed and been the most supportive, loving person um, of my ministry. And we were talking the other day, Jeff and I, and he sidled up to me and said, Tim, He said, I've got to confess, I've got a bit of envy. I said, why is that, Jeff? He said, because there's some great things happening at Saltash and I just wish I was there in the centre of it all again. And we reflected on the fact that sometimes we have to know God's perfect timing. That Jeff's ministry was great and good. And it was God's perfect timing and he did what God called him to do then. And what we are doing now at Touch, I believe, is what God is calling of us and it's good. And someone will come on again and I'll look at it and go, oh, I wish I was there doing that. But we can't wish to be in a different place at a different time. Because God's timing is perfect. We might not understand it. We might not truly appreciate it. But God's timing is perfect. Let's not live in the past. Let's not live saying, actually, we're comfortable here, we're comfortable in bed, I don't want to get up. Or, I'm used to how things are, I don't want to change. Do you know the last words that are said in a dying church? They are, but we always used to do it this way. We always used to do it this way. And I suppose what I want to say to you today is if that alarm is going off now in the life of Mutley Baptist Church, what is it you've got to get up and go to? What is it God is calling you to now? I'm not naive. I'm not stupid. I may look it, but I'm not. I know the journey you've been on. I know some of the difficulties and I have shared some of that in prayer weekly as I've met with the other ministers here. But maybe now the alarm clock is going up, the call to say, get up, go. And the danger is, the danger is that we start using phrases like, but we've always done it that way. We we can't change, we can't get up and go because it might not be perfect, but I'm comfortable with with what's going on. And maybe God's just challenging, not just this church, but other churches, to say, I've got something new for you. It's God's perfect timing. I've got something that I want to lead you to, but you can't be clinging on to the past, saying, but I'm comfortable here. God's got something new for Muttley Baptist Church. But maybe we need to just let go of some of the things that we've always done that way. Things that we've done that might need to look different, might need to change, might to be done in a different way, and might even need to stop. There might be needing to say, we can't do that anymore, it needs to stop. And that's not bad, that's not wrong, that's God saying, I've got something new for you. Sometimes we are so worried about hanging on to the man-made things of church. The way we do things that we don't find anywhere in the Bible, it's just as years have gone by, that's the way we do it. It's that great tradition, isn't it, where someone says, we've always done it this way, and you look back and you go, well, why did they do that? Um, We always do the offering at the beginning of the service. We cannot change it. We cannot move it. It is theology. It is rule. And someone looks back and realises that someone made a mistake one week, someone copied it the next week, and before we know it, that is the tradition of the church. We need to rediscover what is it in the early church that God calls us to be. He calls us to be a group that gathers, that worships, that praises, that goes and shares uh, the message with the world. Sometimes we need to let go of the things that we hold so dearly and yet actually have no foundation in them at all. Maybe God is calling of Mutley Baptist at the moment of that alarm clock. And the danger is that we might want to stay in bed because we're comfortable. We're comfortable with how it's always been this way. We're comfortable with what we do. We want to hit that snooze button. Not now, God. Not now. We're comfortable. We're okay. We're licking our wounds. We're trying to find out what we are, but so don't call us to do anything too big. The danger is we sleep through the alarm of God. We sleep through the get up and go. And we think actually that God's forgotten us when God's been banging on that door saying, get up, go, do something new, be the people I've called you to be. Be the present, be the now, not the ones looking back, lamenting on what it used to be. But what about us as individuals? What does this passage say to us as individuals? Because I think it's slightly different to what it says to us as a church. I think there is a call in this passage to be vulnerable, To be vulnerable. To realise that sometimes when we journey and when we go on God's call, we do not know the full story. Please don't hear, Muttley, that I'm saying you're going to be in the wilderness for the next 40 years. I don't believe. I believe God's got something great for you. I truly do, that God's got something great for you. But we need to be vulnerable as individuals that says, okay, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go. I don't understand, but I believe God is at work and I'm going to go. May not be how I want to do it, but I'm going to go. Part of vulnerability is taking down our, our armor, being real with one another, being honest with one another. Not horrible, not nasty. But when you say to someone, how are you? Don't say fine. Because fine stands for feeling inadequate, needing encouragement. When someone says to you, how are you? Be honest. Be real. People are attracted to churches not because of their pyrotechnics and their, their flashy lights. That will get them in. But what will keep them is a church that is real. That is deep that is honest, that is family. That's what people are looking for. Yes, there are, we can name churches, let's not go down that route, but there are churches who have the lights and everything like that. But believe me, what people are looking for is relationship with God and with one another. And that's what it means to be vulnerable, to journey with one another, to know the call of God, that when God says get up and go, we're not sat there thinking, but we're comfortable, God. I'm comfortable coming to church on a Sunday and just nodding at several people and going, hi, how are you? Great, lovely. The call is to get real with one another, to be vulnerable, to be open, to love one another as God loves us. And so this passage in Exodus today, yes, speaks of a group of people who are journeying. But it speaks of a group of people who had to listen to God's call, who had to be vulnerable, and who had to be prepared to get up and journey into the unknown that God might reveal to them the great plans that he has. Muttley, don't look back at the past and say what was. Look to the future and say what is God going to do? Amen.